Rena Striegel. Welcome to Ag Inspo, the podcast that focuses on innovation and creativity in agriculture. In my travels across the U.S., my mind is blown by the farmers, ranchers, and business owners who are contributing to the richness of the agricultural landscape. My hope is that by sharing their stories, you will be inspired to have the courage to break through and bring an idea you have to life. Hi, everybody. This week on the Ag Inspo podcast, I have the privilege of talking to an amazing woman who has done something very, very unique. She actually has her farm smack in the middle of the urban core of Des Moines. So we're going to be talking today to Monica of Charsky, and she's going to be telling us how she got into this unique niche way of farming. And you're going to be amazed at how much variety she has over a section of the city of Des Moines. So without further ado, let's welcome Monica. And again, welcome to the Ag Inspo podcast. Monica, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. I am very excited to have you here so that you can share your story with all of our listeners. And, you know, rather than you know, tell the story for you. Why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now? Yeah. So I run Sweet Tooth Farm and um, really what we are doing is growing market gardens on either underutilized, abandoned, or plots that aren't able to be developed in the urban core of Des Moines. So really how we got started, I sometimes joke that we were formed and founded in a city council meeting in downtown Des Moines. Um, but we moved into a neighborhood just north of downtown, um, and we moved in next door to a pocket park. And what that means is there was a house on a, just a single city lot up until 1971, and the house came down, and the city took over that space, and it was the 70s, so they just thought, you know, well, I'll put a park on it. But unfortunately, they never allocated funding or maintenance costs or upkeep to that space. And so by the time we moved in five or six years ago, there was uh, maybe a, a broken slide and one swing on a swing set and a sand pit. And so as the years went on, those things were even removed. And it was really just like a large litter box. It was not good. The kids stopped coming. Um, and it just wasn't something um, that we wanted in our block, in our neighborhood. And not only us. I mean, we had a, a group chat on Facebook of all the neighborhood neighbors surrounding. And when people would like, be drinking and starting fires at midnight. We would all be like, okay, everybody call the police, get them out. So, I mean, it wasn't just like a singular decision. It was really, truly a negative space for everyone on our block and and surrounding us. So I just thought, you know, someone's got to care about this. Like there has to be someone who cares. So I just started calling and emailing and being bothersome and started a, a, about a three-year journey working with the city council and most closely with the parks and rec department. Because there are, there are good laws, which I think there should be laws in Iowa, um, about developing parkland or selling parklands to keep those green spaces. But the Parks Department in Des Moines specifically was wonderful at really um, getting a good feel for what the entire community wanted. So, I mean, we did. I got statements and signatures and letters from the Neighborhood Association and a lot of um, just people who had more kind of community stake than I did who had been here a long time saying like, 
yeah, this is terrible. Please do something about this space. So we brought some options to city council and they voted to let us use this space. Um, we're really lucky too that Polk County has a pre-existing side lot, side yard lease program existing. And so we kind of just nudged Parks and Rec a little bit and said, okay, cool. We'll do the side yard lease as just an addition to our yard, but how can we work with the legal department to be able to grow a large garden on the space and then sell that? Um, and so we had to wait a couple months for the legal department to kind of figure out how that would work. So after working with the legal department, we had to get pretty significant insurance on the plot because it was still owned by Parks and Rec and periodically a city worker might, which they did, they shock. I mean, like we have had the best experience. There was a, a tree that there was a storm and like one of the branches fell down. And to be honest, it was not a very, it was kind of a sickly tree and it was giving me shade and I just didn't really want it. So I emailed parks and I said, are you guys bored? Like we've come cut down this tree two days. They were out, cut down the tree for me. Wow. So, you know, but, but those workers had to come on the space. And so, I mean, we had to, we're insured for up to like 2000 acres and 4 million. I mean, just for that tiny space. So we definitely had to do a lot of kind of legwork to lay that foundation down because there is no infrastructure, at least in Polk County, for what we're doing. So um, that was really the, uh, the start. And then we did just to kind of bridge that transition because it had been a public space. And so we let it go fallow for a year, put a fence up just to kind of help the neighborhood and the kids and everybody kind of transition and understand this is no longer a park. And then our first season, I mean, frankly, you're, you know, your, your first time doing anything <laughs> questionable, right? <laughs> but um, we, we've learned so much in the last two years. So we're going into our third growing season and we've been so lucky with the partnerships that we've created with not only the Parks and Rec Department, but the City of Des Moines Municipal Department and their land and the city planners. And so after the Parks Department saw what we were doing, that we weren't idiots, <laughs> Um, we were we were doing this successfully they actually passed our name along to the city um, you know different departments know each other but so we now this season we actually just got the lease today so I can probably officially talk about it um, with all of our plots combined we'll be leasing about three acres from the city Wow um, and so it's all in the same zip code um, we're very lucky too that in the industrial area just north of downtown Des Moines there are some plots that are kind of weird shapes. They're cut up by the river and there's a levee on those lots. And so there's a strange building provision in, and then additional easements that prohibit a lot of building development on those lots. So for both of them, there has not been anything done or touched to those lots since the 1920s and 30s. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I could ramble about this for a long time, but we've had quite a natural progression. Um, I think. Um, in my experience, sometimes if you go too fast, too soon, uh, you can kind of bite off a little more you could, than you can chew. But we've been really lucky to kind of have a, a natural and slow progression. So, you know, we started with 6,000 square feet, and it's taken us three years to move up to, you know, having any sort of acreage. So we're really excited about the 2020 season. Yeah, that's amazing. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you're growing, how you pick what you grow, what you do with the produce, like just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, another reason that we really wanted to do this is that, um, you know, we live in a food desert. 
we've gotten one or two additional grocers, very small, kind of bodega style, li very limited selection. And then we just got a family dollar, which again, not, not a very good um, access point for healthy foods by any means. But, um, you know, so we wanted, we wanted to be an access point for those healthy foods in our neighborhood. We, we really realized that like a lot of the conversations that were happening at the places we were at and volunteering and people we were talking to, the conversations about food are really different mm -hmm. than they were at our house, right? It was more of just a necessity conversation. Um, do you have food to hand out this week? Can I have some versus, oh, is this organic and where did you get it? And those conversations were right. frankly very privileged and not always happening in the neighborhood. So. We, we just started kind of talking to people. We're very lucky that we're kind of plugged into our neighborhood. Um, and just as a frame of reference, the school two blocks away, Molten Elementary, last year they had over 34 languages spoken just at that elementary school. Wow. Um, they have some kids who come in not speaking any English. So there we have a vibrant population um, of people who have come to the United States and who are used to having a, a very agricultural city um, and lots of farms and everyone that grows their own vegetables to here where you have a family dollar in a liquor store and where do I get food to cook? So a lot of things that we grow are just things that people want to eat. And frankly, I don't grow stuff that I don't like to eat because, you know, I was just not interested. So, um, I mean, bounds of reason, but I don't, I don't, my thing is not greens and microgreens, more those classic summer Iowa tomatoes, uh, sweet corn, melons, beans, um, peppers. We do, we do lettuce. I do whole head lettuce, um, carrots, some root vegetables, just general market garden stuff, stuff that you'd see at the farmer's market. But I also do just a ton of classic Iowa stuff. So those, you know, beautiful heirloom tomatoes, sweet corn, watermelon, green beans, peppers. We do whole head lettuce primarily, um, carrots and root vegetables. And then also, you know, I've had a lot of requests over the last couple of years. And frankly, even if I don't necessarily know how to cook it, if people want it and will buy it, I will grow it. <laughs> um, and so this year I'll be doing three different types of eggplant. Eggplant is a big seller around here. Um, okra is a big seller, fresh okra, and then also tomatillo. Um, oh, I've, sure. got, I've got three families and they will just come in and harvest themselves and they'll pick like 10 pounds and that's, you know, they come every Wednesday. So, um, <laughs> we're really lucky that we have found a lot of these places in these pockets of neighborhoods who, um, kind of had a desire and we've been able to, um, kind of tap into that and, and it's kind of been a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, there's something to be said about even if you maybe don't speak the same language, food connects people and, um, you know, being, seeing food grown can be a connecting experience. And so that's been really lovely too. Yeah. So talk about how you actually run the farm, because obviously with that many acres, that's a very large garden. So talk about how you, you know, get the, get the plants in, how do you harvest the produce? Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, you know, I tell people sometimes they're like, Oh, how do you do it? And I, frankly, it's not rocket science. It's just a lot of really hard work <laughs> and a lot of time, <laughs> but, uh, probably the, the best answer is that in the daytime, I generally am at my more, my larger plots working on, you know, we grow the sweet corn and melons or something that 
don't need, they're not quite as finicky as say uh, a bush bean or a tomato that needs to be trellised and pruned. And so those go on our big plots. Um, we also grow for some restaurants and so I have some specific restaurant plots. Uh, but uh, so daytime, I'm more down there and you know, to be really honest, my baby monitor reaches my garden next door. And so I've got a headlamp and I've got gloves with LEDs. And so you can find me at 11 p.m. out clipping tomatoes. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely is a lot of organization. I already have in my calendar, in my, you know, programmed in succession planting weeks that I look, I mean, obviously that's going to vary depending on weather, nothing's set in stone for Iowa weather, but being as organized as possible, walking in, and then also just accepting help from people. I have a lot of really lovely neighbors and friends and people who, who either are in apartments or just don't have the space or the capacity to garden. They love coming in and getting their hands dirty and participating. And then for that labor, they get to then take home a lot of produce. So we've got a really fantastic core group of people. I've got a, a friend and a, a woman who used to work on farms in California. I've got some recent ISU grads. Um, and so we, I do a lot of scheduling of those volunteer hours, but really it's just, you know, excuse me. I think other farmers will agree that sometimes you just got to prioritize what fire to put out first <laughs> and you make it work. But, um, Probably the best, again, the best answer is just being as organized as possible now in the cold months, going into it and kind of understanding um, the process and succession and what really needs to get done. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there was a, you know, a, a deep desire just to have some community improvement of the space. What has it turned into now for you? Because it's obviously now gone beyond just making an ugly space pretty or making it productive. So what is it, what has it turned into for you now? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, when I think of kind of what we're doing, I think of kind of like you said, building community. And I, I just, I, I do think that being in green spaces and being in uh, spaces where food is grown can be healing to people. And there's a lot of kids and there's a lot of people in our neighborhood who experience trauma and to have had a rough go of it. And so um, we're really, really passionate about getting people into the garden spaces. When I say garden spaces, I just mean all the plots. It's hard, they're kind of piecemeal. Um, and so, you know, it could be the 8th Street, it could be the 13th Street, it could be the Franklin Ave, but it, it's when I say gardens, it kind of just encompasses all of it. But, you know, so I have, um, I work with the Young Women's Resource Center. We have their Young Moms program. Um, so I am certified to take food stamps for our produce. And so um, the moms and their kids can come in. And, you know, I also think there's something to be said about using your body and um, harvesting something, working for something, and then taking that home. There's a level of kind of pride or just respect that I feel that I certainly think others maybe feel too. And so we invite, you know, the Young Men's Resource Center. Um, so there's a program down the street that's called Children and Families Urban Movement. It's a, it's a before school, after school summer program. And I'm getting started in March already with the, my third through fifth graders. Um, you know, a lot of them, the older ones were little when the park was still a park. And now they're able to, I mean, I had kids like fighting over carrots who got to eat more carrots last year. <laughs> they planted onions, they harvested, they picked tomatoes. I mean, they, they did it all. Um, they would come to the farm stand to watch. And um, 
So it's just been a really powerful tool to provide experiences because, you know, not everybody's grandpa or uncle or grandma has a farm. And even though we're surrounded by so much acreage and farm space and row crop, not everybody has those experiences to, to be in those spaces. And so just providing access has been really kind of pivotal and important for us. You know, at first we just thought we were kind of doing this thing, but now it really feels like there's so many other people and organizations and families who have kind of a stake in what we're doing and who feel connected and who feel proud that this is in their neighborhood or that they helped plant whatever. Um, and so we really want to just keep that going. And I also do think, you know, I have a responsibility from turning what was a public space for 30 years, 30, 40 years into a private space that we really should be as open and accessible as possible. I mean, with a caveat that like I have an irrigation system that I don't want anybody messing with or the beehives I don't want anyone knocking over. So grain of salt, you know, we have fencing up, but at the same time, we, we are always inviting people. And I have had uh, multiple, you know, Girl Scouts, high school classes, Montessori school classes just come in to, to be a part of it. And so aside from, you know, being a financial or enterprise uh, that we're running, it's also really important to us to just be a point of access, A, for really quality product vegetables, but also as a space where people can um, see a productive agricultural setting work. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about, you know, how you kept people out of the space when you weren't there to monitor it, because you are working in an, urb in an urban core. And, you know, prior, prior to this, your space was being used for parties and, and mischief, it sounds like. So, you know, have you had any trouble with vandalism or just, you know, kind of abusing the boundaries? Yeah. Um, you know, on our plot here next to our house, no. We have not. We, like I said, we fenced it off for an entire year prior to planting, but also we make pretty good use of the space. There's not a lot of space that is unused. And I mean, if you, I mean, if you drove or walked by, it's very clear that it's a, it's a large productive garden. We do invite people in to glean if they prearrange it. So say somebody missed the farm stand or they can't maybe afford to buy anything from me. If they come and do the work themselves and purchase or not purchase, but pick things that maybe aren't perfectly beautiful or wouldn't be like the prize jewel at the farm stand, they can certainly take that home. And so I think having that openness has been something that's really pivotal, but also at the, so at the plots down by the river, um, there have been some homeless camps down there and, um, you know, nothing, um, nothing catastrophic. We have some melons go, but frankly, you know, whatever. Yeah. They, that's fine. Yeah. That doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, we did unfortunately have our tiller stolen. I left it there for one night. Um, and someone actually brought a chainsaw and cut down a huge city of Des Moines sign that it was changed to, um, to steal it. But, it, you know, we got it on Craigslist and it was really hard to start. So, you know, I hope they never started it. Whatever. <laughs> um, but we do plan actually to put uh, additional fencing down at the plots that, uh, that are larger, but you know, I will say too, there's also a community of businesses down there who keep an eye out for us. I've gone around and done door knocking and just introduced myself. So they know if I'm working down there at sunset, I'm supposed to be there, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but they keep an eye out for things for us too. So yeah. it's kind of a tight knit little neighborhood. We have yeah. Here. 
That's wonderful. So talk about the bees a little bit because yeah. you know, there's a there's a lot of buzz about bees. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so talk a little bit about how you're incorporating them and, you know, sort of how many hives do you have and what is what are you producing by having them in your garden? Strategy? Yeah, I mean, right. So right now, primarily our main focus with having the bees is help with pollination. Um, having a beehive, an active beehive on a garden space can up your yield significantly, especially if you're planting additional flowering um, plants within your produce. It can just draw a lot of pollinators aside from bees. It's really beneficial. So um, in 2020, we'll have two hives, which really isn't enough to sell commercially. Um, kind of going back to that urban setting, we rely on our neighbors not to complain about what we're doing. And so many times, uh, Monica will come around with some honey and some eggs and some bread as like a thank you for when we had our grain bin hauler parked in the alley for a week for not reporting. So we really just use it kind of as a tool to give a special gift because local raw honey is something that is in high demand. It's kind of like a niche hip item. And so when you get like a a hand packaged with a label that's like not really available anywhere else. It can be kind of like a special thing. So we give it as gifts and Christmas and um, kind of as a, a token of our appreciation for our neighbors dealing with, with what we're doing. But we also, you know, on the flip side, we mow a lot of lawns in the neighborhood. We do a lot of like, we grate the alley with our tractor. So, you know, it's kind of a give and take. Yeah. But, um, but so really two hives is not quite enough to commercially sell. That's something that my husband's really passionate and interested in. And I think um, this is going to be his third year. And, you know, again, that's kind of pretty new. And so we're, we're still learning. And I think that's something that he definitely wants to expand in the coming years. But also, you know, you got to kind of learn and you have to, it can it can be disastrous to go too big too fast. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, five hives that have died and you're out a couple hundred dollars. So we're kind of building that slowly. I think the goal would be to be able to sell honey commercially. Um, luckily, we abide by cottage laws in Iowa because we're an independent farm stand. And so um, we would be able to sell that honey at our farm stand. So that's definitely a goal in the next couple of years to kind of ramp up and continue to grow our, our tiny little backyard apiary. But um, yeah, and it's also just something that's really great. It's a good draw. Every single child who comes in here and gets to stick their finger in fresh honeycomb goes home excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's definitely something that we use as a tool to talk about pollinators and bees and just to get that boost for our own produce. Yeah. So what is your background in all of this? And, you know, like, I mean, I think it's just really fascinating. Like, what were you doing before you did this? And what is your background? And, and sort of how yeah. did this become your passion? <sighs> well, I mean, I've been gardening for a long time, just nothing on this scale. But um, so I worked, I was a social worker. I worked at ChildServe for a number of years. Um, I worked at Irely Bull, a couple other agencies doing casework and, and things like that and kind of the social services network. And then I had a child and realized how expensive daycare was. And um, my husband and I said, okay, well, I guess we'll take, a, you'll, you know, he, he made much more than I did at the time. 
Um, turns out social workers don't get paid very well. Um, so I decided to stay home and that was, uh, it kind of was a very, maybe coincidence is the word. I don't know, but that was the year that the final, um, playground structures were removed when I had my son, when I had my first kid. So, um, maybe just all the time on my hands, um, and being alone with a baby who didn't want to ever sleep made me really persistent in all those emails to Perks and Rec. But, um, I don't know. I just, I have this belief that if you want to do something, sometimes you just have to jump in and do it. And if you want to be something, you just have to start being it and the rest kind of will follow. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't really meant to be. And so that first year, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times we didn't plant anything. Uh, we did a lot of research and videos and talking to other friends. I cannot talk highly enough of the vegetable farmer community in and around Des Moines. Um, I've got so many people who I owe a lot of thanks and gratitude to for listening to me, answering questions, letting me pick their brains, meet me for coffee when I have a notebook full of questions for them who have really just taken me under their wing and supported me. And so just that first year of learning, um, and then frankly too, failure has been one of my biggest teachers. But yeah, I don't know, I'm just neurotic enough to always be wanting to be incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did not even know they made gloves with LED lights in them. So you have taught me something, you've already taught me a lot, but I had no clue about the gloves. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> There's going to be a whole bunch of farmers that are going to be like, I got to get me some of those gloves. Yes, you can find them on Amazon. They are awesome. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's neat. You, you know, you took a career that you have and you, you know, all that you learned from doing the social work and understanding the communities in Des Moines and the need. And now you've sort of taken all of that knowledge and married it to a whole different skill set that you had previous to being a social worker. And now yeah. you have this lovely sort of mosaic of things that are kind of coming together. So, you know, what, what is next? Because obviously this is now getting pretty big. I mean, these are, yeah. this is a lot of garden space. Yeah. And is your husband still working a, another job or is he, is he now working full-time with you or, or how are you managing? Yeah. That? So my husband is the hardest working person I've ever met. I feel like he taught me about hard work, but so he still works a full-time job. Um, I, so we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I'm due with our third in May. Oh, congratulations. Um, and so we are, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remind my brain today that like two days after delivery, I will not be planting carrots. So my <laughs> husband's helping me remember that. Um, but, uh, we're very, very lucky that he is at an employer and he will get about 18 weeks of paid paternity leave, which is pretty oh, unheard of in the United States. So he'll be home for about three and a half months with me. Wow. Get all the plants in. <laughs> good for that company. I won't make you name them, but you know, good for them. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's, um, it's something with our first child, he was home for about a week and a half. And then with our second three and a half months, and it is truly life-changing to have your partner there for that kind of beginning haggard, exhausted, you know, time. Oh. So and we work really well together. He is my engineer and mechanic and every, he's the one who in that three years when I wanted to give up before we ever signed a lease, he is the one who kept pushing and saying, you can do this. We can do this. We just have to keep trying. We have to just think outside of the traditional trajectory 
um, he is a very ingenuitive person. And so he's actually really excited. He probably, I, he wouldn't, I'm not sure if he would agree, but I think he likes to ride the tractor more than I do, um, and mess around with it and fix it up. But, uh, so yeah, so he'll be home. And I honestly, I forgot what the question was. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. I, I was just saying, you know, like, like, is he still working full time? Is he, oh, sure. is he yeah. coming in full time? So yeah, we do just kind of supplement our income. We do have some rental properties as well. Um, and so I think the goal eventually is to have both of us uh, be running our own kind of wings of this of this enterprise. But um, in our third year, we kind of still need to bridge that gap. And so he still is working a nine to five. Yeah. It's, it's a tough business. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Iowa where I don't quite have the infrastructure built up that I can grow year round. And so, you know, from that maybe act, October, November to April, May is a, is a, the starving season. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit then about how you staff this. I mean, obviously you're working long hours. He's working long hours. You're out there in the middle of the night, you know, gardening, but yeah. So how, how do you get all the help that you need? Do you have anybody else that you pay or is it strictly volunteers or people who are willing to come in and kind of do some work in exchange for food? Yeah. So right now we are volunteer based. My husband, like I said, he's the hardest working person I've ever met. People think that I'm hardworking and I would say you should meet my husband. Um, we, we joke that we have like date night in the garden and that we'll both be outside. We both have, we both have headlamps and we'll just, you know, not now cause I'm pregnant, but you know, in the summertime, we'll just each grab a beer and be chatting about our day at midnight while trellising tomatoes or digging out carrots, you know, and, and that's something that's not, don't get me wrong, we're not out there every night, but um, I'm pretty good at time management. Luckily, I make a lot of lists. I've got a lot of plans. And so we kind of schedule our not so much days, but weeks around tasks that need to be accomplished. And so I'll put a call out if I have a big task, um, if there's something that needs to be planted, harvested. I've got regular help the day before market. And also my wonderful mother, who I feel like I couldn't have this life or these children with without her help um, comes and helps with childcare on Tuesdays so I can harvest and prep and wash and get everything ready for market. And so it's just really, like I said earlier, having that schedule planned out, knowing when you need to do things. Um, I luckily I've got a really great list of people I can either call or email who I can schedule for a three hour block here or there. And a lot of times they just, you know, we're very lucky. They believe in our mission and they, live in apartments or they don't have a garden. So they want to be out here. The goal is to hire seasonal help. Mm -hmm. That is our ultimate goal. In the next few years, we want to be able to hire one or two people to have seasonal help for sure. But I think right now with this increase in space and acreage, we want to really focus and tap in on getting all of that space utilized the best we can a before we get more land, but B, before we make investments in staff. So um, in the next two to three years, our goal is to really um, max out what we can grow and what's the most profitable to grow on those larger plots. Yeah. So what you mentioned a little while ago that your husband wanted to press on, even though you wanted to quit. What was yeah. the moment where you felt like this is not worth it? What was that moment where you had to kind of have that breakthrough? I think, you know, it's hard to say kind of as a blur. Again, I have two small children, so like my brain is smushed sometimes, <laughs> but you know, I think 
probably there were there were two or three moments um, in that process where either we just stopped getting responses from the city or the parks. For me, that's incredibly frustrating. Um, or, you know, it's hard to sometimes contextualize that uh, one worker at Parks and Rec doesn't really have the final decision-making power, but when you're just told no enough times, it can get really defeating. And then, you know, I, I'm not sure, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but when we first approached the Parks Department, they said, oh yeah, we'll have money to do something with that space in maybe 11 to 13 years. Ah. And so when you're, you know, when you're being woken up by grown people who don't live in your neighborhood, who just know about the space and come to your space um, to drink or do drugs or start, you know, it just, the kind of wearing down of that happening every single day um, gets to be a lot. And so, I mean, there'd be times where I'd, I'd send my husband house listings and say, oh, can we just move here? It would just be so much easier. Um, and I think we complement each other pretty well because he's very much long game, big plan, big picture. And I'm very much like day to day, checklist for today. Mm-hmm. And he's checklist for the year. And so he kind of just tried to slow me down. He's a lot more slow and steady and I'm like an energizer bunny. And so, um, he would just remind me that we're dealing with government and bureaucracy. And especially if we're trying to do something new, you know, that's not something that happens in a week or a month. That's something that happens over a long time. And so just having him kind of remind me of that kept me going, I think. Yeah, I think that that's one thing that a lot of, you know, business owners, when they're getting ready to start a new venture, they're so excited about the idea. They just want to get going and they don't like any kind of roadblocks that come up. So I think that what you experienced is, you know, it's probably really good that you sort of have that balance with your husband because most entrepreneurs would quit. It would be too hard. They wouldn't push through. They would have just channeled that energy into something else. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, he, we still kind of joke about it. You know, he'll, I get asked to do a podcast like this and he'll joke and be like, you remember you wanted to quit. You didn't even, you didn't think that we were going to do this. So it's, it's definitely something that it reminds me to just slow down and sometimes let the process work, even if you feel like it might not. Yeah. So, so how is the relationship with the city today? Are they like encouraging you to take on more? Are they like proactively seeking you out to take over space or are you still sort of feeling like you have to sort of navigate and negotiate each opportunity? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, maybe a little bit of both of those categories would be true. Um, In terms of the parks department, you know, they, they, they don't really have, very many more spaces like this. Um, we did recently, last year, signed a lease. Um, it's through the city, but it directly borders a park. And so we kind of, again, we got the in because of our friends in the parks department. And they talk highly of us, as just like we talk highly of them. And so um, it was another plot in a very middle of the neighborhood urban setting that had been kind of just abandoned by the previous leaseholder. There was a lot of trash and broken items on it. Um, but it directly borders a pretty nice park. And so both of those departments wanted to see something nice. So they actually approached us and they offered it to us for a dollar lease. Um, and so we have that really great relationship. You know, some of the things in the industrial area, if some, if maybe an ordinance changes or zoning changes and land could be developed, you know, the city wants to do that for other business owners and we totally understand. So 
we've had to do a little bit of uh, musical chairs, if you will, with some of the plots down there. But when we lost one last year, David uh, Kolvig, who is my my BFF down at the city municipal, um, he said, oh, okay, so this one, a construction company wants to build a building here, but I have this other one that has not only a levy, so it has a, a width provision, but it also has a height provision because there's some power lines. This would be great for you. I thought of you when I saw this space. And so it definitely takes some navigating, but we also have some really great allies who are, you know, if they see a space that they think, oh, we could never put a building here, they would think of us. Yeah. Um, and we're also really lucky too. You know, we don't live in New York City, so I'm not paying $1,000 a year for these lots. Um, yeah. You know, we've got those great Midwest prices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how, what does it take to rehab a space? You know, you were just talking about that space that was next to a park that had broken glass. So are you having to haul in dirt or are you just going in and doing, you know, kind of trash cleanup and sure. picking rocks or what is, what is it, what does it take to get a space ready for a garden? Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a really important thing, especially in an urban environment is soil testing. Um, there are some leafy greens that can really absorb um, toxic substances, heavy metals. So that can be kind of dangerous. So we take core samples of our soil before, when we get a new plot just to kind of test what the heck was something dumped here? Is there something in the soil? Um, and so that's really important. So we have a, a connection with a lab um, in Northern Iowa that we work through with that. But I, I feel spoiled even saying it, but I asked our buddies at the parks department, hey, do you guys have a lot of projects? Could you bring like a skid steer? Could you do this for me? And they did. <laughs> um, so they cleared that lot. They brought the skid steer in and they uh, flattened everything and they took all of the debris to the dump. Luckily, I, I, I was able to wait a month until they, they stopped a project and then the guys had a week where they didn't really have a lot going on. So they thought, yeah, we'll come do that for you. It'll be fun. Um, and then the other two municipal lots uh, by the river, there's, there's just nothing. I mean, they're just grassy. So um, on those, it's really a lot of soil prep, figuring out what kind of soil is there. One actually had a beach on it in the 1930s. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, just kind of figuring out what could be the best things to grow on those types of soil. And then again, just making sure nothing was dumped or left there. Th those are probably the most important prep. But we do have a small tractor, so we're able to do some work ourselves. But uh, yeah, we're, we're really, we've been really lucky with the city. And they, they are very supportive of what we're doing. They, I don't want to even, I'm hesitant to say this, knock on wood, we really haven't come into any really big roadblocks with them or what we're doing quite yet. That's amazing. So, so you're in your third year, you're, you're going to have a, a woman down, so to speak, going into this growing season. So what, what do you hope will happen with this visit? with this business. Your husband probably has this planned out for at least 10 years, I'm going to yeah. guess, based upon the way that you talk about him. So, you know, what, what kind of is your goal and your dream for your business in the next few years? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people talk about innovations in agriculture. And I think for us, something really important about that is really truly figuring out what our customer base wants. Right. Because I can I can design a product, but then if nobody really wants it, it's not going to work. And so um, something that has been so, so successful for us is is hosting and operating farm stands in the middle of neighborhoods um, at times that people want them. So don't get me wrong. I love going to a farmer's market. I mean, count me in. Give me a mojito and 
one of those, uh, you know, breakfast burritos, like I'm, I'm there, but not everybody has the availability or, you know, has kids or whatever. So they can't always make it to those, those, um, events. And so I think in terms of, uh, financial moving product selling, we would like to establish more farm stands, um, in neighborhoods that again, just don't have a lot of access. Um, and so right now we operate one farm stand. I think we'd like to grow that in the next few years, um, but that just takes planning and staff. So again, we would want to incorporate some seasonal help to get those going. But I think also something that we're really invested in is just steady, sustainable growth. Um, I wouldn't want to get five more acres next year without having that help because that would just be a recipe for failure. Um, and so I think growing with our community and with the needs of the community and then also kind of refining our other products that we sell. Um, we've kind of determined and heard that a lot of folks who live around here either can't afford or are not really interested in buying a CSA, which is, um, can be kind of expensive to get that subscription from a farmer. It's a great model, but it, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so we want to kind of fill that space. And so what we have developed is just a weekly box where you don't have to pay the entire season. You just pay the weeks that you want it. And, um, every week that we have offered it, we've sold out in less than an hour. Wow. And so we want to, you know, people want that customizability, right? One week, maybe I've got a lot of eggplant. They don't love eggplant. So they'll wait till the next week when it's more tomatoes, um, or, you know, whatever the case may be, or they're going on vacation. They're not yeah. going to get a box that week. So they want that kind of more tailor-made customer experience. Um, I'm also working with some friends to put together recipe cards for our veg boxes. So kind of like just transforming our products along with what the demand wants to find those areas and spaces that we can easily kind of fit into to make more profit for not really not a ton more work. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so yeah. biggest things expanding to additional farm stands refining and improving our other big product, our veg box. Uh, that's amazing. So, you know, if people want to connect with you, come maybe be a volunteer with you, that sounds really, actually really super fun just to come and hang out and do some gardening. Um, how yeah, do you I mean, it's like it's dirty, but you know, it is fun. <laughs> <laughs> so tell people how they can connect with you, follow you, get involved with what you're doing. Just yeah, so we're on all the all the big ones. Find us on Facebook at Sweet Tooth Farm, Instagram, Sweet Tooth Farm Des Moines. Um, we've got an email address that I kind of handle, sweettoothfarm.dsm at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I, I've got a ton of people who've connected with me on social media. I have farmer friends now in like 12 states and a farmer in Norway. And it's it's one of those, you know, the internet's not perfect, but it's one of those really lovely parts that you really can connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, we're in, we're in Riverbend, so come find us. Okay. Yeah, so for those of you who are listening to this podcast while you're driving or, you know, if you're sitting in a tractor and you don't have your pen and paper to write all that down, just know, just click on this episode when you have a moment. We'll have all of this typed up in the show notes for you so that you can easily connect with Monica, easily connect with Sweet Tooth Farm. Thank Gosh. you so much. I really appreciate it, Rena. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll be in touch really soon. Okay. Have a great night. Okay. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. This is Rena Striggle, and you have been listening to Ag Inspo, the podcast. 
please visit my website at tomorrowiscoming.com and find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspirational episode where you will hear from another amazing entrepreneur who has had the courage to break through and bring an idea to life.